1: Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. And it's international season. We've got another international flavour. Lots of games actually going on over the weekend. I was lucky enough to be down at Mount Smart Stadium uh, down here in Auckland to watch the New Zealand beat Tonga 102 Neil. Gs. I'm not sure what we really learned from that game. Uh, over in South Africa, they hit out their first international since the Rugby World Cup final back in 2019. They took down Georgia 40 points to nine. Not quite as big as what uh, I think some of us were expecting. The British and Irish Lions uh, took on their namesakes. The Sigma Lions over there in Johannesburg. I think 53, 56 to 14 down there. Ireland had a bit of a closer one with Japan. They would have been sweating slightly. 39 to 31. The Irish took that in Dublin. Uh, Wales smashed Canada 68 to 12. And Romania unveiled some new kind of interesting jerseys as they hosted the Pumas in what was another close one, 24-17. to 17. Boys, I know we've got the Wallabies, France, to talk about, but let's spend a little bit of time on a few of uh, these games. So, I mean, what was your big takeaways from, if anything, from the All Blacks smashing Tonga by uh, a cricket score?
2: I'm um, saddened to see the, the Tongans go down by so much. It, it's just, it shows the gap. Um, between the All Blacks and the Tonga team. Obviously, this Tonga team was constructed very differently to their first uh, first choice team. They had 14 debutants in the 23 or something ridiculous. That they were clearly outmatched. And obviously, that's the result of COVID. That's the result of um, players being unavailable They can't get around to these games. There's too much restriction with quarantine, the club uh, contracts. Um, so unfortunately i don't think they will learn much from this they really i hope they got some revenue because they probably didn't get much for for their rugby uh i would like to think that in future um they'll they'll take the time to look at the schedules when when we're past covid and say hey this this test window we've got to have some games but if we can't get our uh, first like top strength side together we should be looking for more comparable opponents to make sure these games are a bit more balanced because Playing New Zealand with, you know, a team with fourteen debutants in it, it's it was interesting watching. But it, you know, I turned it off after about twenty five minutes, and I came back to it late in the second half just to see how things were going. And some other th- stuff I was doing. It wasn't it wasn't enjoyable for the full eighty.
0: Um, yeah, Lee, I think that hopefully the biggest benefit from this game for them was some of that revenue sharing. Um, which they do struggle for funds, essentially, and that's the driver behind a lot of this with players leaving. You know, hopefully with some of the teams coming into Super Rugby from next year, this could, you know, boost teams like Tonga, Samoa into the future, but that's going to take a bit of time. At the moment, having so many clubs in Europe lock down these players, inflexibility of movement for the international season, COVID on top of everything, it's super difficult for them. But the All Blacks were clinical. They were cutthroat. I thought their support players were excellent in this game. I thought some of their skills were really good. And obviously coming off that, you know, pretty competitive trans-Tasman competition from a New Zealand perspective, obviously, I think that's actually brought a lot of these players to the peak of their powers, particularly some of the guys from the Blues. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to be running pretty hot Um you know, come into the rugby championship, the blood is low. Obviously, their opponents in this July test window are going to be, you know, as competitive as what Australia is probably going to be facing in a youthful French team. But, you know, just being out there playing games is going to help them. Um, New Zealand, I think, will be well prepared coming into their next real, you know, key fixtures with Australia and South Africa and Argentina. Tonga, where to next? Um, look, it's, it's it's a difficult question to ask. I th- I answer, I think, Look, it's good to see Kefu there coaching a guy with such good experience from the Wallabies, actually putting back, you know, giving back almost to his home nation or, you know, his heritage there. So we need that IP going to those Pacific Island nations. We need revenue flowing through them and we need the players to be there at the right time so that actually they are competitive and it's not a blowout like this, which is, you know, going to really put a dent in their
1: confidence. As you say, luckily, they're getting a few more players back from overseas. Um, I think the last man was Tammy Funa coming in and they're playing against Samoa uh, next week, which should be a bit more of a competitive match for them. So hopefully they can put this sort of heavy defeat behind them and look to the future. I I think you're right. It's about getting the players... Um, that play down in the Southern Hemisphere, play in New Zealand and Australia, are actually there and able to be eligible for that team rather than getting snapped up by New Zealand or Australia. And that's that's part of the reason they've gone for that Pacifica um, team, even though they're based in New Zealand, they're looking to um, bring players through that are going to play for those island nations. And then it might be, again, about looking at about those um, eligibility laws as well with... I mean, players at the moment are t- doing all they can. Fekito is going to the Olympics to try and change his uh, eligibility to Tonga and Charles Piatow has been trying to play for them. Um, these are guys that have uh, had their stint with the All Blacks and still playing really good footy, but they can't go and give that back to um, one of their sort of heritage nations.
2: I think that would be really valuable to be, to be... If you do get selected, but then you fall by the wayside of one of these major sides and you want to play, but you can't get into their squad. Why after a couple of years, wouldn't you just let them be able to qualify for another side, um, even if they have to put a bit of a barrier to it. So it's, you know, it's not an Australian moving to England or to South Africa. It's a, it's, you know, into a, a tier two. nation, Yeah. Yeah. It's a proper, properly designated second tier nation to support them. And after that, it's, you know, that players lost the All Blacks or the Wallabies or whoever, and that would probably cut down the usefulness of, of, you know, Coaches are picking players and starting them just to get them locked into the eligibility to to make sure they've got this big pool to choose from on potential and prospect And, and that would let them just, you know, basically say to players, you're not going to make our squad take your ticket across to your other tier two nation early. And that would get those players in there straight away. So I think that's good both ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, Fiji is going to be similarly a little bit underdone, I think, with players still stuck in Europe. They're not having the likes of their star man in semi-radaraj are going to be there for this All Blacks um, two test sort of window here. What if they could say to Tavita Kurundrani, say, come over, come over and join the squad and play if you're happy to give up. If you don't think you're going to be playing Wallabies again, which he's now signed with France next year, he could easily come and then play 13 for the Fijians in the next two tests.
2: Yeah, if you say he's no longer in our in our um, squad, he's no longer in our plans for the future, um, someone else can have him. I don't see any issue with that. He's going to bring a lot of experience, a lot of understanding of the game, a lot of strategy to those sides and an insight into the opposition, which again, over time, will, will build a bit more um, competitiveness into those games Within our region where We play enough of them We'd we'd be better off with some competitive Opposition to keep us at our sharpest
1: Now we've got the teams For our upcoming mid-week test Against the French It's Wednesday night It's now in Suncorp Stadium At the moment we're looking like we still have fans And we've got our team list from just today Um, Few surprises I think From what people expected uh, The likes of People like James O'Connor, obviously not considered due to injury. Uh, Jake Gordon and Matt Tenuo have um, gotten through that injury cloud to be named in the starting team. Um, I'll just run through the whole team quickly. Uh, You guys can tell me what you're most surprised about. So Slipper, Pianga Ramosa, Alan Alotoa in your front row. You've got Matt, Phillip, and Luke Ansalakai, Lotto in the row. You've got Valentini at six, Harry Wilson at eight, and Hooper at seven. I think that's probably what we expected. Um, Gordon Lalesio at 10. Noah gets his second opportunity at a start after a bit of a horror last year. Tomoa Paisami in the centres. Korobidi, Tom Wright and Banks at the back three uh, unchanged from the end of 2020.
2: So I, I think if we knew the, the permutation of injury availability or not, I reckon we were pretty close to picking this team. We talked about it last time. The the biggest surprise for me is probably that um Taniella doesn't get the start. This is this is sticking with this system of you know a 50-30 minute split for what, what's seen as a stable you know, solid scrummager and you know, good, good just sort of defensive linesman, good good set piece, but not the breakaway X factor game-breaker type player, let Taniella come on in the 30 minutes to finish and take advantage of some tired bodies. Now, I used to advocate for that. I used to say that was the way to go. But I find it very hard to argue that point now after we've seen so much from Taniella playing 80 minutes, being dominant for the Reds. Why wouldn't you – and this is exactly the argument you guys used to give me – why wouldn't you maximise the minutes you can give him? And obviously, you're going to have someone on the bench. You can have – Alan Alatoa there if if he becomes too much of a target to the ref, if, he, if he's not having the impact, if the set piece is failing. But that's not what happens the last year or two. taniela has been very mature and very skillful. I, I don't see why we would bench him for Alan Alatoa, who's been pretty vanilla this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Alan Alatoa has been out of form for the most part of this year. I think he brings a lot, you know, around just generally in terms of his work rate, and maybe that's something that Taniella still is behind Alan Alalatoa in. But you'd have to say scrummaging-wise, Taniella would be the form tight head in Australia. You know, carries-wise, he would be outshining Alalatoa as well. Um, so, yeah, it's probably just about work rate, and I think this could easily shift into game two. Maybe they're, they're going to kind of rotate them in and out of that tight head position. The rest of the forwards, you know, I'm relatively happy with. I think that was quite predictable. Um, Backline, look, Tamua's there. I'm not particularly happy about it, but I can understand given the level of experience that's dropped out of this starting lineup um, due to injury with Nick White and Jock not being there. So, you know, at least he's not at 10. It's great to see Lola get his chance again to actually shine in that 10 jersey, given Jock's injury. Um, Tamura and Gordon, more experienced operators, um, because the, and Korobedi as well, I guess. But that rest of that backline is pretty fresh. Um, most of them have played under 10 tests. Um, but I think there's a lot of points in that backline if they get going.
2: Interesting, just as a quick snapshot to illustrate your point about work rate, Toby, just going straight back to the Super Rugby AU final, both Taniela and Alatoa played 80 minutes. Taniela took 10 runs for 26 metres, which I reckon would be pretty low for his season, really, but only actually made four or actually made three out of four tackles, so low work rate as, as a defender. Alatoa, you look at him, had eight runs for six metres, so not particularly um, penetrating there, but 10 out of 10 tackles. So in, in that sense, he he... And hitting
0: rocks, I think. Is, is another yeah. thing that maybe that those stats aren't there, but I agree. I think they're probably the key things, things you don't necessarily pick up on from the naked eye watching the game.
2: Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, it's just interesting to to compare there. I guess that it makes some sense, but I think Taniella will still outshine Alan Alatoa and I want to see him starting soon.
1: So the biggest thing I've seen on social media is people blowing up about Jake Gordon's selection over Tate McDermott.
2: We're passionate in the Tate camp, mate. We're really passionate. We, we want him to get his opportunity.
1: I mean, I expected it. I thought that Rennie likes Gordon more. I think he, he loves him very much more structured and I don't think you can fault him on the way he played when he came back from injury um, for the Waratahs this
0: year. He's, he's super influential. He has a better pass than Tate. He has a better box-kicking game, which Rennie's a big fan of. You know, having used Nick White in that way quite a lot last year, but I think Tate's game in terms of his running game is probably a little better than Gordon's, but Gordon also is a, a great try scorer. Uh, he's got some pace about him as well. I'm just concerned that is Jake coming back too soon? Is his knee fully healed, you know, off the back of a difficult year with injury? Are we throwing him back in too soon? Should we have just gone with Tate and thrown our trust in him, even though he's paired with Noah, who's another inexperienced playmaker? Um I don't know. Time will tell. I think with that selection, but Jake, I, I would back all the way. If his knee's okay, then I think he's a guy that's not going to let you down um, on either side of
1: the ball. And Tamura at twelve is this is this purely because we don't have Jock around there, and they need one of those guys in around as a bit of maturity, or do you think yeah. he would have been there even if James O'Connor was fit and starting at ten?
2: Definitely a chance he still would have been there, um, but I, unfortunately, I can see the the angle of needing someone who has some some history in the centres, um, you know, more than just last season. Last season was a breakout season for Hunter, but he probably couldn't stand there and say he's he's a veteran yet. Um, to have someone who's played a lot of minutes, a lot of matches in that inside backs area, it was either O'Connor or Tamua. You'd be a lot more comfortable putting Paisami at 12 as a supporter of Jock and slipping Ikitao in at out, outside centre. Um I think in the first game, if that would have been an option, but without Jock, it makes sense that someone as a stabilizing player in, in Tamua is there. the The downside to me, I think, is that the stabilizing effect is really just the slow slow hands and and like it's just going to be making tackles and shifting the ball. It's you put Hunter at twelve, you get at least as much as Tamua gives and a bigger bigger harder ball runner. Uh, and you get to have Ikitao outside, which is a real threat, which takes a little bit of focus off Hunter, which can be great too. So I really hope we see that in the final maybe 20 minutes, all things going well, players staying fit. Be nice to get ahead by a couple of tries and be able to experiment with that combination.
0: Yeah. And again, I think tamua uh, he's come to camp late with injury. He was in Canberra for quite a stint there, not actually doing the full training camp with the Wallabies. So there's question marks over him as well in terms of match fitness. Uh, he's not quite, I think, the defender that he once was. He's not making the hits like someone like Basami would make. He's consistent. He's a game manager. If Noah gets into trouble early, which could happen, he had a pretty tough debut if we remember from last year. So, you know, with those nerves there, I think Tamua's is probably the guy that you do need there to actually have a bit of a calming influence on Noah. But I think I totally agree with Leo's point that, you know, if Jock was starting this game, I think you would have seen Paisami at inside and Lenny Kieta starting at 13. I just think it's a bit too much to be, you know, risking game one against a, a lively French team that have not much to lose. We want to win this game and then build off that. We don't want to come in with an inexperienced team and drop this first game behind be behind the eight ball straight away.
2: If nothing else, we can be happy that at least an exciting 10 is on the field. Like, we're not going to be... Um, given the Tamuah class at 10, shifting the ball and, and not making much of it. Like Noah being there, fighting, he's going to present the ball. He's going to take his runs. Um, he's got the creativity. And he's got good players around him. So that's exciting.
1: You're right. It isn't an experienced team. It's a young team. And there's a fair few debutants, even if we're looking at the bench, Lachlan Lonegan, uh will probably make his debut in the number 16 jersey. Um, Angus Bell obviously already made his debut last year but he's another young gun there Darcy Swain in, as a reserve lock Len um, Ikitao is there which I think is shows the faith that Rennie has and wants to get Ikitao on the field because it's rare that you have a pure 13 on your bench he's not going to cover many other positions um, and then Andrew Kellaway in there at 22 makes that late break for the Wallaby squad and then gets rewarded uh, with the 23 jersey
0: yeah, really happy for him. And I actually thought he had got a cap already before he did leave for overseas. I just had not. to check
1: it. I thought he had as well. It's just yeah. As all that sort of Aussie under 20s and schoolboys sort of records to his name and things.
0: I think it's he one has of those... been
1: around the squad before.
0: Yeah, he was so young before when he, you know, even he's 25 now, I think. So he, he got thrust into the, the Waratah system very early on and he was a star in the lower ranks. So it's really good to see him come back from overseas, get the reward for some good form late in um, Trans-Tasman because he hasn't played a lot this year, but obviously Rennie sees something in him. So hopefully we can see him out on the field. A guy that can cover, as I said before, you know, fullback, wing, even play 13. So there's some options there. Ikitao, I think, will get on. Maybe the plan is to kind of get ahead by 15, 20 points and make that substitution, give Tamura a rest and bring on Ikitao to actually you know, give him some exposure at international level. Um, But I'm really happy with that back three. I think that's something that's hopefully going to be pretty stable going forward. I think Noah's combination with Tom Wright on the wing and then obviously Banksy at fullback, I think could be really valuable. And obviously Corabidi not letting anyone down. So I think again, that back three could be a long-term option for us. Um, Unfortunately, Corabidi is heading offshore, I think, at the end of this year, but You know, certainly Tom Wright has signed on, I think, for another year. And Tom Banks, I think, is signed with the Brumbies as well, at least for one or two years. So hopefully we can kind of build around them because I think they've got a lot of potential.
2: I'm also very excited that we've got our form back row. That, to me, like, it made no sense picking anyone but those three. You have to have Hooper. Valentini and Wilson have definitely been the form guys. So they get the reward. And this is is a long-term back row, I guess, as long as Hooper's around. This is this is a long term. a change uh, of tune for
0: you though, Leo? Ho- has to be?
2: No, Hooper has to be there now because he's the captain. There's no point fighting it. His successor is definitely waiting in the wings, and I look forward to um, Fraser McRight getting his chance. But th- that that they at least got Valentini and Harry Wilson, and they got those right. That's I'm just really happy that we're going to see plenty of that coming up. Looking to the French side now, and I think. Toby, you're right. Like it's a
1: fairly understrength or like inexperienced team that the French have sent, and it really sort of means that all the pressure is on Australia at this stage. I don't think anyone's thinking that the French are going to come here and they're guaranteed to get a couple of victories here. But if they if they pull off a win from the start, um, people are going to be looking to the Wallabies in sort of crisis mode. I think um, their lineup on the weekend some people probably to keep an eye on, I think. So they've got their big uh, number five tower, who's a giant of a man, the captain Jelanch at seven. um, And then Jaminet is the fullback there. Who's another young gun that's um, starred in a couple of those six nation games uh, earlier on this year and the end of last year. So a couple of names there, I think, to keep an eye on, but, it's going to be interesting to see what these guys what these guys have managed to do, build some combinations, even being sort of in quarantine this whole time um, and then having to get out on the field so quickly. Yeah, and
0: it's a huge ask coming out of quarantine in Sydney and a day later getting to Brisbane to play. I mean, that's incredible. Um, so you've got to applaud them for actually being willing to do this. I'm not sure the logistics have been done as well as they could. You know, you'd like to see them at least have a few more days out before they're taking the field, but that's the way it is. Hopefully the Wallabies staff have actually done some analysis on some of these players because obviously, you know, Bar, maybe Matt Phillip, we, we don't really know much about them and these, these players in the Wallabies team wouldn't have had exposure to them. So, so there's a uh, kind of uncertainty factor there where there's going to be a feeling out process in this game for the first half probably and then things could open up. So I think both teams, or at least the Wallabies, will be a bit cagey. And it's such an important game if we start well in this one. It's such a good base to build off for the next two that come in quick succession. Um, and I think we'll really gain some momentum if we get a good result first up. But we can't take them lightly, which I don't think the Australians will. Like We know that the French have been building over the last few years. Even their youth coming through is pretty impressive. And so... Regardless of the fact they're inexperienced, I think they're going to bring a lot on game day um, and play with a fair bit of freedom, I'd say. So it should be an entertaining game. Um, And, yeah, I just want the Wallabies to start off the year well and and really do that jersey proud, the new jersey we're going to see, which I'm excited to see how it looks up there at Suncorp. It's um, two for one, I think, two tickets for the price of one at the moment going for that first game. So a real incentive for people to get out, even though there has been lockdowns in Queensland, in Brisbane. Hopefully, you know, the crowd will still be allowed to come along on Wednesday. But, yeah, it's a huge occasion for the start of the international season for the Wallabies and we've got to get a good win.
2: Just for those who aren't um, super familiar with the French side, you look back to the recent Six Nations games they've played. A lot of the guys starting uh, uh, they're solid bench players. So there's some, some front rows, some some backs there who are getting filtered in, getting an opportunity with some of the first string guys out. So just just on on mix is probably roughly a third to half the starting side that they were they were fielding in the Six Nations, and then backfill out of the bench. So this is still mostly selected from. Their, from their squad of sort of 23 to 30 that they would have been working from the six Nations it's just the probably the real um, there's a few special players that aren't in there it's a real shame not to see uh, it's a mark and um, Ponto, what he would,
1: I really wish yeah. we got to see Anton DuPont
2: like that combination just would have been brilliant so yeah. um, but take that out I mean the second string guys are there in that squad normally this isn't this isn't a New Zealand Tonga situation by any means.
1: Yeah, and I hope Australia's not looking at it like that as well. It doesn't seem like everything the coach has been putting out is they're not going to um, underestimate this French team and I think that's what makes it more likely that they will they will come out and try and play very structured and play um, a hard, sort of good defensive ball to start with because they won't want to give them a good start. Looking around the world, like South Africa's having a second test against Georgia on the weekend. Uh, Romania's hosting Scotland. Samoa and Tonga, as I mentioned earlier, are playing In Auckland, New Zealand face off against Fiji down there at Dunedin at Forsyth Bar. Wales are playing Argentina um, in Cardiff on Sunday morning, which would, that's probably another one of the good games, be interesting to see. England versus Canada and Ireland hosting the USA. So still plenty of international games going on all around. And then the British and Irish Lions continue their club tour, um, taking on the Sharks in Durban, I believe. Guys, just like we won't go into this too much, but is there is there one player from uh, the Lions that you guys think is probably someone to keep an eye on? You think will be a bit of a game changer in this series versus the Springboks when we get to that? Um, The guy that I've got my
0: eye on is Vandermeer, the the winger. I think he has the potential to, you know, if he does indeed start. I think have a bit of an influence in the game like George North has done in previous years. He's a huge guy, he's got some good pace, natural try scorer and he's really starred for Scotland recently. So I think in combination with Josh Adams on the flanks there, they could be some, um, you know, a lot of points coming their way. But yeah, it's the the Lions, I just need to know exactly who's going to be starting because, you know, although I watch these northern hemisphere teams, you know the way Gatman goes with some of his selections, I don't completely agree with, but he does seem to favour sometimes some of the Welsh players. Whether that's right or wrong, but um, you know I'd be probably starting Farrell over um, someone like Bigger, but that's just my opinion. So I think we just we we still need to see who's actually going to run out against the box. But I think Bannerman from the at least the first game that I saw looked really really good.
2: Yeah, I agree. Both the wingers have looked stellar, and they've been on the end of some really good play. So that's that's a credit to that whole back line. Um, a guy from the weekend has actually ended up picking up man of the match. Um, was was a very strong play at back row, but may may have trouble getting into the starting lineup with with the mix of talent they've got. Is my Hamish favorite, Watson,
1: my favourite Scottish man.
2: Yeah, yeah so another, off,
1: he's small.
2: another another Scotsman who puts on some big hits. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out for Hamish Watson. If he, if he doesn't get another run um, as, a, as a line against South Africa, you, you will see more of him, I'm sure, in these club games in between. And, uh, yeah, just 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 a dominant player. Um, hopefully he does get a chance. But he's up against with guys like Tom Curry competing for those same spots. It's, um, it's thick and fast in the back row.
0: And I guess just to my point with Vandermeer, like the fact that it, I think he's South African-born I think adds another layer of of interest around his performances in his former home nation. Um, So that's interesting to me as well. And I'd say the crowds are going to be getting into him pretty, pretty harshly for actually running out for the Lions rather than the Springboks.
1: If they have crowds, I know they didn't have them on the weekend in Jo'burg at all. So hopefully that they get to a stage, I think potentially in Cape Town, they might be able to get to a stage where they can actually have it because that's where it's most well controlled in terms of COVID. Yeah,
0: interesting that they're having two games in Joburg, um, which I would imagine is probably given some of its history and the and the co- communities that live there, I think the Delta variant's probably gonna be wreaking
1: quite a bit of havoc. And one last thing before we go, we did have the finals of the Super W over the weekend. Um before I even say who won, I did like the fact that even though the Western force left, they the organisers actually managed to put together another sort of select 15 for the president's 15 to play against um, on the weekend so that uh, we weren't one match short at with this. And that was sounded like quite a competitive match as well. The Tars did take on the Reds again for the finals for, uh, fourth year in a row. I think those two have been battling it out for the top two spots and the Tars took it again for series in a row. They're becoming the crusaders of the super W at the moment, uh, 45 to 12. So not even a close one with this one. Um, congrats going to someone like uh, Margot Vella, the winger got a double for here, but I think Arabella McKenzie is, um, the playmaker for the for the Tars. She's played a bit of 10, played a bit of 15. I think she was 10 on the weekend. She's been a star on tournament for that. But congratulations to the Waratahs, Grace Hamilton, girls there. Um, another good performance, a good year.
0: Yeah, just disappointing, though, that the Wallaroos coaches, two of them have been fired after some comments were picked up by them on one of the Super W games that were recorded for analysis purposes. Um, so their comments we heard in the background of of those of a game that actually was uploaded to the analysis system that the players can see. So they've lost their, they've lost their head coach, they've lost their assistant um, who are up there I think in Coffs Harbour as well. So that's a bit of a sour note to to all this after you know a decent Super W you know season in the circumstances and a good win by the Waratahs women. But then this to come out the day day after, I think is um you know it's it's not a good look, but hopefully they can move on from that pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. But yeah, plenty for plenty for them to celebrate in another interesting year of Super W. Hopefully, we're going to see a bit more with the New Zealand women's competition kicking off next year as well. We might leave it there, folks. A bit of a shorter one. We're trying to work out when we'll be back, whether we're going to be able to sneak in a second one before the uh, second test to the Wallabies. Uh, But we'll definitely keep everyone updated. Uh, You can make sure to keep up with what's going on on our social medias, at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram and at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Do apologise for a bit of the late upload last week. We're switching over providers uh, for our... Um, podcast hosting servers and things just got a bit messy and things got uploaded and deleted. So I do apologize for that. We will be coming to you a lot more uh, regular and on time in the next coming weeks. i made sure of that. Um, Let's go the Wallabies this week, boys. And until then, keep on running. Go the Wallabies.
2: Run.